0: Today on CityCast Chicago. Construction is underway on the Obama Presidential Center in Jackson Park, and when it's done, it's supposed to transform the south side of Chicago, in the words of the former president. But in the nearly six years since the center was announced, neighbors have been fighting to make sure they aren't priced out of this new south side. A One way folks can have more of a say, a community benefits agreement. So why isn't there one? It's Wednesday, March 9th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. (music) Dixon Romeo was born and raised in South Shore. He's a housing advocate and one of the many organizers pushing for protections around the Obama Center. He talked to us from a busy coffee shop while he was out doing his thing in the neighborhood. Take us back to 2016, right? uh thank you to everybody for
1: being here today
0: i believe it was wednesday august 3rd it was a sunny day all those community folks got out in jackson park
1: um i will invite
2: mayor emmanuel up to say a few words thank you. thank you
0: thank you thank you marty uh most importantly thank you the president and the first lady uh, for, and announced uh, it as the spot uh, for the uh, Obama the Presidential Center. And this is a unique opportunity, historically, a unique opportunity that I want to make sure the entire uh, city of Chicago, and specifically the south side of Chicago, benefits from a once-in-a-lifetime uh, cultural and educational investment. Uh, do you remember what your initial reactions was to
2: that? Going back to 2016, um, you know, ironically enough, I was, I've lived in South Shore my whole life, right? Um, but I was a college student. Um, I was at Grinnell College at the time. And then the Obama Center was announced. And I remember, you know, reading the materials, reading the press about it, and going to some of the events. And it was super clear to me that um, this development, if there were not protections put in place, was going to actually have a negative effect on the neighborhood. You know, you're looking at
0: Hyde Park, Woodlawn, South Shore. I grew up in Woodlawn, lived on 66 in Greenwood. I, I live now in Hyde Park. I lived on 71st of Cornell and South Shore. You know, can you kind of describe how do these neighborhoods that are so close to each other, like, dramatically look different in some ways?
2: I think Hyde Park, right, obviously, because the University of Chicago, because it has historically, you know, had, uh, you know, wealthier, whiter folks, it got developed right first, right? It's like, yeah, Hyde Park has a lot of stuff that folks want. Commercial spaces, places to work, things like that. And the cost of that in this system, because of the way we do development, is that now it's it's uh, wholly unaffordable for a majority of folks. South Shore is a community that um, is predominantly renters, right? But there are still a lot of condo owners, a lot of homeowners. There's an affluent part, you know, where I grew up, right, the Highlands. When public housing was torn down, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of folks were put on vouchers, South Shore became the number one voucher neighborhood. So South Shore is a community that is simultaneously going through displacement and has pockets of blight. Woodlawn, I think, is the same way, but it's facing much more drastic blight and much more drastic gentrification. That's why why Woodlawn has more vacant lots than a neighborhood like South Shore.
0: You was already hip that this is going to have a drastic impact as people who can afford to come in and purchase up property, purchase up vacant buildings, are going to immediately push into the neighborhood. Is there a part of you that's like, you know, like dreaming for the neighborhood like we deserve this like you know you talk about your love for South Shore your love for Jackson Park was a part of you like we deserve this presidential center over here
2: part of it is like Obama's legacy right And so of course black folks on the south side feel pride in that right Like that's the first black president my grandma cried when he got elected I, I, I'd never seen the woman I'd never mm-hmm. seen cry I saw her cry right um so that's that's a super impactful and powerful to me but I think beyond that um despite the successes that he's had as in individual, right, and what that's meant for folks in terms of representation. And where they see themselves, the reality of the situation is, in terms of the material conditions, our Black communities in Chicago have always gone without. The question is really, why is it that we did not have those things that we are, that we are hoping this development brings in the first place? There should never be, like, a savior project that's going to save a neighborhood. This should be an intentional, long-term plan with investment and material that help grow it. And so to me, it seemed like, although folks have a lot of pride, I also know that without protections in place, without that like long-term plan and investment, that these things don't actually address the issues that we want them to.
0: As the center is coming up, organizers immediately start building a coalition from across the different neighborhoods and start working on a community benefits agreement. What exactly is that?
1: The CBA is like a, a legally binding agreement between a developer. And then usually it should be like a coalition of community partners. So looking at, for instance, like the Obama CBA coalition, you know, there was like dozens and dozens of groups that were a part of that fight. Um, to get a community benefits agreement.
0: That's Sarah Conway, a senior reporter at City Bureau, which just released a guide to these agreements to help Chicagoans have more say in development in their neighborhoods.
1: Community is promising something that's usually support for a project. And in turn, a developer or a development is, is promising benefits back to community members. And that could be, you know, hiring people locally from the neighborhood. It could be making sure that community has access to a development space. Does it have to be a really large development, like a mega development? It definitely could be that. But, you know, CBAs can, they can go down to even like a hotel that might be coming into your neighborhood.
2: But it's something, you know, to to be able to hold folks accountable, right? Like to your point about Chicago, we have a long history. We all know of the city saying we're going to do this or a big developer saying we're going to do this or a big project saying this is going to bring this. But then nothing's in writing. And then you look up five, 10 years later and That those things haven't materialized, and there's nothing there to like hold them accountable. So, I think originally, so we had the 2016 um, principles you know, jobs that pay to will, like jobs that come from the center to pay a living wage, to uh, go to residents in the community surrounding the library. That we talked that it didn't displace people, right? That there's a black business corridor. You know, around the housing, it was, you know, we wanted an emergency rental assistance program, you know, restore the number one bus, right? Get the Metro Electric improvement and then facilitate transit-oriented development. Um, ultimately, we, were, we focused on housing because the foundation said that they did not, you know, the president, a former president said he's not going to sign, you know, a
3: CBA uh, with groups. i sure that the community benefits, and I know that there are some folks here, I heard one, at least one person back there, but I'm sure there are a few more uh, talking about the idea of a community uh, benefits agreement.
0: This is Obama I, I, I speaking I, at a I, I community forum back in 2018. Uh,
3: And the danger here is is that if we sign an agreement with any one organization, or two organizations, or five organizations, I've lived on the South Side and in Chicago long enough to know that they're not representing everybody on the South Side. We're not gonna do that because what I want to do is to make sure everybody's represented and by committing to a transparent process that everybody can see what we're doing, everybody can make a judgment as to whether we're following through on the commitments that we make.
0: But what was it like to hear the organization and the former president's response be, no, we're we're not going to agree to that.
2: This campaign has never been about the president, right? Um, Or about the center in like being there, right? It's always been about how do we do things differently in our neighborhoods and in these neighborhoods in particular, right? The only difference in this and where he, the president to me is uh, relevant around like our response is because he is, you know, one of the most famous people in the history of the world. This center is it's gonna bring a million people a year, so they're saying 700 or 600,000 or whatever a year to the neighborhood, right? That's a lot of eyes from around the world speculating versus like a regional or a national thing.
1: Getting developers to, you know, get into a legally binding agreement is something that's very challenging.
0: Are there any projects in Chicago where there's an agreement in place?
1: Oh, like a, a community benefits agreement? Exactly. Mm-hmm. There, There is not. No.
0: But alternatives do exist. Sarah and Dixon tell us more after the break. So instead of the CBA, like you said, you began pushing for a housing preservation ordinance uh, in Woodlawn. What is that and how does it work?
2: The city owns, I think, around 200-something lots in Woodlawn, right? And so we won 25% of those lots have to be developed affordably. At least 30% of those units in each project have to be affordable. So that's like if you're making around, you know, anywhere between like 20, 6, and 30 and 30000 dollars which is that median income for Woodlawn. Those would apply to you. Right. So that is like the big piece, because, you know, at the very least, it's going to be like a thousand units. So that's the biggest, I think, chunk of it is those vacant on lots.
0: The city council passed that wood line ordinance in the fall of 2020. In addition to building on vacant lots, it also included grants and loans to help existing homeowners and landlords pay their mortgages and improve their properties. Uh, Have these particular programs already kicked in?
2: So some of those, a lot of these programs have. It, it's, they started this year into last year, okay. but they've started rolling out, right? So that long-term at home improvement grant, we I was just on the doors. We were talking to folks in Woodlawn about this a couple of weeks ago, right? Like, yes, this is out. We won this. Remember, you showed up to that rally. Remember, you showed up to this. They're like, yeah, I remember that. And so this is part of what came from it. So I need you to go ahead and get <laughs> your money so you can get so your stuff in, so you can stay, right? Um, mm-hmm. you you fought for this, right?
0: So you have that in Woodlawn, and now you're trying to get something similar in South Shore. What does that look
2: like? What we're fighting for in South Shore is, is, is there are elements of the Woodlawn Ordinance, like the city-owned vacant land going towards development, like money for home improvement programs and loan funds and things like that. But what we're asking for in South Shore is actually a lot more broader and a lot more comprehensive It looks at every sector of the housing market in South Shore from the fact that we have 20 percent of the neighborhood as vacant units. We're seeing uh, single we're seeing homeowners with problems. We're seeing condo owners with problems. We're seeing renters with problems. We're seeing folks on vouchers with problems.
0: Here's what the former president said in 2018 about the community's fears of displacement.
3: I I think a lot of times people get nervous about uh, gentrification and understandably so. I first came to Chicago in 1985. It is not my experience during that time that the big problem on the south side has been too much development. You know, too many people being displaced because all these folks from Lincoln Park are all pouring into the south side. That's not what's happened. We've got such a long way to go in terms of economic development before you're even gonna start seeing the prospect of significant gentrification. It, it, Malia's kids might have to worry about that. I saw there there are folks who
2: live like sixty eight in Crandon. There's an apartment for rent right now. We you know, we just talked to somebody who used to live in a building, right, who it's, it's now fourteen hundred to rent there, right? Um, we're talking about sixty eight in Crandon. That was not the case. I feel that was yeah. That wasn't the case a year ago. Definitely wasn't the case three years ago. And it definitely wasn't the case, you know, essentially seven years ago in 2015 before the center was announced.
0: So are CBAs the solution?
1: There's still this larger issue of, like, there's so much change that a development brings to an area that, like, is a CBA ultimately like a panacea for that. And I think if you're asking me my opinion, no, there's so much larger than just one development or like one community benefits agreement. Like there's really big issues in this city that like the city itself has never dealt with of disinvestment of such a, a a not participatory development process. Maybe there is a need for more participatory development in Chicago of communities having a more of a say about before even a development is approved, you know, before city council passes an ordinance allowing a development to come into a community, what is the process with which community members are involved?
0: Sarah Conway is a senior reporter at city bureau, which just put together a guide on community benefits agreement and participating in development. We've got a link to that in the show notes. Dixon Romeo is a housing advocate in South Shore. His organization is called Not Me, We. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. To learn more about some of the changes that are already taking place in Jackson Park, subscribe to our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm slash newsletter. The Nipsey's restaurant and lounge in Calumet Heights experienced a devastating fire earlier this week. The location had been subject to several citations for violating the business license and has had its fair share of scrutiny from the neighbors. And some good news to get you through. In honor of International Women's Day yesterday and Women's History Month, our friend Monica Ang over at Axios wrote about the Women's Ale Project, which is a cool project that renames each stop on the ale after a key woman in Chicago's history. Check a link to the project in the show notes and maybe grab yourself a map. They also got these really cool mugs, too. Remember, we're looking for stories about what you were doing right before the pandemic shutdown in 2020. Tell us your name, neighborhood, and what you remember doing before the state issued the stay-at-home order almost two years ago. You can call or text us at 773-780-0246. That number I'll drop for you in the show notes and you can find it on our Twitter profile at CityCashChicago. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. But there all are. <laughs> there are all. There are all. There are all. Man, that's a.